You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. It is finished. Those words were recorded in John's Gospel in chapter 19. And if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn there now. I want to welcome you to our Good Friday services here at Harvest Bible Chapel. We're thankful that you have chosen to make this a part of your celebration this weekend. All four gospel writers have a lot to say about the final moments of Jesus Christ. But John was the closest. John had an eyewitness perspective that others didn't have. He was right up front. He had the best view. And he gives us a lot of close-up stories. And what we find in John 19 is one of those close-up stories. Beginning in verse 28, we read, After this, Jesus, knowing that all now was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on it hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. As we walk into God's word this morning and allow it to let lead us and to change us, I'm praying for fresh perspective for all of us. Uh, for some of us, This will be a perspective we've never had before. For others of us, I'm praying that this is fresh again, that the field gets replowed, that the tears are new, that the joy is new, that the love for your Savior is new. I want us to look again upon Jesus, to look at Jesus and to see what he's finished. So as we begin our time together, let's call out to the Lord for help. Let's pray together, would you? Lord, we do ask that you would help now, please. Lord, we do pray that you would please, please help. God, I pray that you would open eyes, all of our eyes. This isn't a message for one kind of person. It's a message for all of us. And so, Lord, I pray hearts and eyes open to you today for fresh sight to see and to feel and to know and to love and to delight in a God who has done so much. Lord, I pray that you would open to our hearts now the truths from God's word that we would see in clear perspective what you have done for us. God, I pray that you would lead our time. pray that you would be glorified now in this midst. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's go now to verse 28. Let's look at the final scene together. Let's look at what Jesus has finished. Verse 28 says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all now is finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Of course he's thirsty. Of course he is. 
It's been six hours upon a cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And here we are right at the very end. It's been six hours in the sun. It's been six hours at least with nothing to drink. Dehydrated with massive blood loss. Of course he's thirsty. Of course he needs a drink. The voice is no doubt pained and scratchy. The mouth is a desert. And so Jesus says, I thirst. What comes next? Verse 29, well, a jar of sour wine stood there. So they put the sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it to his mouth. What happens is the soldiers hear his faint cry for, thir- for, for something to drink and they reach to the wine that they've been swilling all day, no doubt, in the hot sun, the cheap wine. And they dunk the sponge in it, find the closest branch, jab the sponge onto the branch and hold both up to Jesus. He takes a drink. Now they've tried this before. They've tried to give him something to drink. They've tried to give him wine before, but the problem was before that wine had a drug in it, a sedative. It was meant to dull the pain, to cause him to rest and to prolong the pain. But Jesus wasn't having any of that. He was going in clear-headed. No sedatives, no drugs. He walked into the pain without anything unassisted. He refused that sponge, but he receives this one. This one just has the wine in it, and he takes a drink of it. But let me ask you this. We've just read that he knows it's near the end. Why would somebody near the end, knowing you are seconds away from death, why would they ask for a drink? It's not to sustain his life, he knows he's about to die. It's not even to comfort him. He knows that it's almost over. So why take a drink? Why ask for something to drink? Well, one of the reasons John gives us right away in verse 28, he tells us it's to fulfill the scripture. In fact, in Psalm 69, the Old Testament spoke exactly of this event. It says in Psalm 69, verse 21, for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And just like every prophecy concerning Jesus Christ, he's fulfilling that one. He wants to fulfill that one right to the very end. But there's a second reason. There's a second natural reason why you would ask for something to drink. If you knew that the end of your life was near, you were laying in a bed, maybe surrounded by family, and you knew you were seconds away from the end, and you asked for a drink, why would you be doing it? Will you be doing it for the reasons that Jesus is doing it? To clear his throat. He's got something to say. He's got something important to tell. Now Matthew and Mark's gospels record for us the distant perspective. They see this event happening through Matthew and through Peter, they see the wine being offered to Jesus. They record the same event. But after that event, what they tell us is that Jesus cries out with a loud cry, and then he offers his spirit. Now what John's gospel gives us is exactly what he cries. And what is it? Look at verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished, finished, finished. Do you know what this is? This is a victory cry. This is a cry of a champion. I used to read this passage 
And I would read it. When he would say it is finished, I would read it with a sad, weak voice. But that's not how Jesus is dying. Jesus is dying in complete and total power and strength. He receives the wine as a, as a champion shouts in victory and he cries out with a loud voice, it is finished. That's not weakness on display. That's strength. Why is this? Well, because Jesus wasn't defeated at the cross. He was victorious at the cross. He wasn't beaten at the cross. He was beating at the cross. He wasn't broken at the cross. He was breaking at the cross. He wasn't crushed at the cross. He was crushing at the cross. You see, the world looks at Jesus' death and says, it's the end. And Jesus looks at it. He says, oh, it's, it's the end, all right. But it's not the end of me. What I want to do in the time that we have left is to look at Jesus, to look at what he has finished for us. And I want us to see four things that were completely finished that Good Friday, that Good Friday some 2,000 years ago. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. What was finished? Well, John tells us right away, the prophecies first, the prophecies about him were finished. That word for those words for it is finished in English translate to one Greek word, one word to telestai. It means to complete in entirety. Nothing is lacking in this. When the inbox is zero, when the to-do list is all marked off, that's to telestai. There's nothing more required, nothing else to do. All done. And here we see what's finished is the prophecies. All of the testimonies about Jesus Christ were finished from the Garden of Eden right up through Malachi, the entire Old Testament completed in Jesus Christ. The told of his virgin birth in a town of Bethlehem. The told of his flight from an insane king's persecution. That John the Baptist would precede him in his ministry. The prophecies that he would be the perfect Davidic king. He would be the perfect prophet like Moses. He would be the perfect priest like Melchizedek. That he would heal the sick. That he would teach in parables. That he would crush the head of Satan. That he would be the root of Jesse. That he would triumphantly enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. That he would be hated by his people. That he would be the stone that the builders rejected. He would be a perfect Passover lamb, that he would suffer, that he would be abandoned by his disciples, betrayed by even one of them, that he would be numbered with the sinners, that he would be stripped, that he would be mocked, that he would be whipped, that his soldiers would gamble for his clothes, that he would thirst, that he would thirst, that he would thirst, and that he would die. All of the prophecies completely and totally fulfilled. All the boxes marked, all the promises, so varied and so diverse, some spanning thousands of years, all of them met completely in one person, Jesus Christ. It is finished. Nothing more to be done. Nothing more required. I have met them all. I have come to do the will of my Father and I've done it. The prophecies about Jesus are finished. But listen, Jesus didn't come just to fulfill prophecies. There's something more happening. Something more was finished in this moment. The pain 
was also finished. The pain against Jesus was finished. No doubt about it, Jesus suffered brutally at the hands of men. After his early morning arrest in his garden and the mock trials, he's handed over to the soldiers and the crowds to be beaten, to be spat upon, to be punched, to be lied to, to be abandoned by all earthly friends, to be dressed up in a costume and mocked, to have a crown of thorns jammed upon his head, and to have his only clothes gambled away by strangers, to be forced to carry the own instrument of your death, to stagger up a hill and be mocked and laughed at all the way, to be thrown on his back, raw with lash marks, to have three-inch nails driven through his hands and through his feet, to be suspended in total shame, to left to, be die, to die for hours, to be alone, to be forced to watch at close view your mother's face as she watches you die, to thirst, to thirst, and then to die. And when the sponge hits the lips of Jesus Christ and the throat is wet, the end is coming. There are no more pains to endure. Death is coming and the cry comes out with strength from Jesus. It is finished. There's no more required. Nothing else you can do to me. I've taken every hit. I've taken every jeer. I've taken every whip. I've taken every suffocating breath. There's nothing else you can do to me. It is finished. The pain against him is finished at the cross. But Jesus didn't come just to fulfill prophecies and just to be beaten to death. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said it is finished. Something else was finished at the cross. The payment by him was finished. You see, on the cross, the most wonderful work was accomplished. The complete and total payment for sin. The life Jesus offered by Jesus in my place. And his perfect righteousness is exchanged for my perfect sinfulness. There's no more punishment from sin. All of it's gone. All of it's paid for completely at the cross. See, from the beginning of time, mankind has been in rebellion against God. He has lived in defiance against God. I don't need you, God. I don't want you, God. No, thank you, God. I make my own rules, God. I decide my own fate, God. I'm the boss of my life, God. And day after day after day, the rebellion builds, and this small rebellion becomes universal. And every single one of us is found guilty of this offense. And who could conceive of a creation spitting daily in its creator's face and not being destroyed. It's treason. It's treason to say that he has no say over us. But listen, denying an omnipotent being's existence doesn't make him go away. No, 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 no. We answer to him. He doesn't answer to us. And we've all sinned, all of us, in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts. None of us is innocent. We're all guilty. We all deserve to be punished. And the offenses against the limitless holy God are great. They are limitless. But that Good Friday, Jesus came. Fully God and fully man. Fully bearing the weight of our sin. But now, even as he hangs upon the cross, as a perfect picture of man's rejection. Man tries to kill its only hope. It tries to kill God. But listen, on the cross that Good Friday, Jesus is not being destroyed. 
He's doing the destroying. He's destroying the penalty for sin. He's destroying the punishment. He's destroying the wrath of God that sits against us. And as the last grit is clear from his throat, as he takes in the sour wine and he has endured our punishment, he cries out again in victory, it is finished. I've received all your punishment. You don't have to take any more. You don't take any. I took it all. I've endured what you deserve. Apart from me, you were hopeless. Apart from me, you were lost. Apart from me, you were doomed. Where would you be without me? But I've taken your wrath. I've been punished in your place. I did it freely. I swallowed it all to the very last drop. You are no longer under the wrath of God. You are under his grace. You are forgiven. It is finished. No more work required. Nothing else needed. The payment by him is finished. And as we look today to Jesus and what he's finished, the truth rains down upon us that we did nothing to save ourselves, that we can do nothing to save ourselves, that it entirely belongs in the hands of Jesus Christ and the work at the cross. And there's nothing we can add to our salvation as though to make the cross better. And there's nothing we can take away from the work of the cross. There's nothing we can do to lose our salvation as though we could strip its power away. No, 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 no. It is finished. There's nothing more required. Nothing else needed. It is finished. But why? Why would he do that? Why would he do that for me? I know the kind of man I am. I know what I've done. Why would he pay for me? Well, this brings us to the last thing that Christ has finished upon the cross that day. It's the proof, the proof through him that's finished. Proof of what, you ask? It's the proof that God loves you. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. You see, Jesus didn't come just to live in perfect obedience. Jesus didn't come just to be beaten to death or even, listen, or even to only pay for our sins. If that was all that was finished, we've missed something very, very important. We've missed the proof that God loves us so much. We've lost sight of this and that God loves me and he loves you. The proof that there is a God who would stop at nothing to deliver you. He came with your name burdened upon his heart. And understand this, loved ones, if you were the only one, he would have come. Being a dad has taught me some things by experience. You who are parents know this also. There is nothing like witnessing a sick child and the child laid out on the bed or the child laid out in the hospital and looking into the eyes of the child, looking at the frame of the child, there is almost a universal truth that will come into the heart of the parent. The parent will say, I wish, I wish I could take it from you. I'm looking at me, I'm big and strong. I can take that flu. I can take pneumonia from you. I can endure that. You give me that sickness, you give me that fever, you give me that cancer, I would do anything to take it from you. I don't want you to die, I want you to live. 
Give it to me. That's the gospel. That your father, with tears in his eyes, looked down upon you and said, no, 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 don't live like that. Don't hurt yourselves like that. Don't, don't live like that. I would do anything to take it away. I would do anything to place it upon me. And the Son of God says, I would too. I love them with an unstoppable love. I can't stop loving him. I can't stop loving her. I will take it. I will receive it. I will die that they might live. The proof of his love, the question of just how far God would go for you is answered finally at the cross. For God so loved the world, you and me, you and me with our anger, with our greed, with our lusts, with our laziness, with our unkindness to our spouses, with our harshness with our kids, with the thoughts you have, the things you look at, you with your mouth, you with your selfish pursuits, your abuses, your unfaithfulness, your lies, your gossip, your addictions, your self-righteousness. For God so loved you that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He loves you. He died for you. Even Jesus said this in John 15, that greater love is no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. He loves you. Friends. For you today, friend, there is forgiveness and mercy. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you think you are, today for you there is a day of hope. Today for you there is a day of love. Look to Jesus. Look at what he's finished. He came for you, and as the sour wine clears his throat, Jesus cries out, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. I've gone to the very edge of darkness to love you. Even though you hated me, I never stopped loving you. I couldn't stop loving you. I've gone to death to save you. I did it even though you couldn't understand. I did it because I love you with a deeper love than you could ever even imagine. Look at Jesus and look at what he's finished for you at the cross. It is finished. Nothing more required. Nothing more needed. The prophecies have been met. The pain has been endured. The payment has been paid. And the proof of his love has been shown. All finished at the cross. And then verse 28 tells us that after these words were shouted, he bowed his head. And notice, in total sovereign rulership, he gave up his spirit. Jesus chooses when his life should end in complete and total control of his life, the author of life bows his head and the scene is ended. And what a scene. But at the cross, Jesus is not crushed. No, he did the crushing. At the cross, Jesus is not broken. No, he did the breaking. And he is not beaten. He did the beating. The world looks at Jesus' death and says it's the end. Jesus looks at it and says, oh, it's, it's the end, all right. It's just not the end of me. It is finished, but I 
am not. I am just beginning. And the world will see very soon, the world will see very, very soon that nothing stops Jesus. Not even death could stop Jesus. But that, that is a celebration for another day. And what a day. Well, what's left for us now? What's left for us is to turn the hearts of joy and the hearts of thankfulness and even the hearts of grief over our own sin to bring those and worship the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that he's called us to by gathering around the Lord's Supper. Just the night before this Good Friday, long ago, Jesus sat in an upper room with his disciples and handing out very common elements, uh, the element of wine, which would be present at the dinner, and an element of bread, which is present. He handed out these two elements and said, as you receive these, you receive them as though from me. And from now on, when you take them, I want you to remember me and the work that I'm about to do. I want you to take the bread as a symbol of my body and remember how it was given for you. And I want you to take the juice as a symbol of my blood and remember how it was poured out for you. I want you to remember that I have fulfilled the prophecies. I have endured the pain. I have paid the price to redeem you. I have loved you to the very end. I want you to remember. So for us, 2,000 years later, we're called to do the same. To look at Jesus, to look at what he has finished. All the prophecies fulfilled in him, the pain fully endured because of our sin, redemption fully accomplished, and the love on display. So in a few moments, friends, the elements will be passed. And as you take them, the two cups, in one the bread and one the juice, would you hold in your hands and think of these truths? Would you think with great love for what your Savior has done? counting the cost again. Take your heart and worship to him. If you're here today, though, and you don't know Jesus, we would invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper also, but not to receive the elements. Bring your heart as well to Jesus. Consider what the Lord has done for you also, and we can worship together. I'm gonna pray, and as I do, I'd like to invite the servers to come forward. Would you bow again with me, church? Lord, we pray that you would lead us in this, this time of worship, and I pray that it be authentic worship to you. Looking back on this day is a hard thing. It's difficult to consider what you have done for us. It's painful to consider that, but Lord, we pray that you be receiving worship from our hearts now, that we would see again your great love for us, your great love that went to the very end We pray, God, that from your people in this room you would receive worship, worship, authentic worship to you, a delight in their Savior and what he has done. I pray that you lead us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.